so while you guys are enjoying all of your chocolate delights, um, I'm going to go ahead and um, start into my message for today. So feel free, though, to eat and make a mess like Paula's doing in her mess. <laughs> it's catching it for you. It's like a baby bed. <laughs> All right, so today we're going to continue the Christmas story, and Alan touched on this um, last week, actually. Um, he talked about the wise woman, he talked about Herod um, in regards to the prophecies. So we're going to go a little bit more in depth into the wise men and Herod, but we're going to look at, in particular, their response to how they received the gift of Christmas, the gift of Jesus. So um, I... I'll put the scripture up here, and I'm going to read through it and then discuss it a bit. So uh, it says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea. This happened while, while Herod was king of Judea. After Jesus' birth, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. They asked, where is the child who has been born to the king of the Jews, to be king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose. Now we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard about it, he was very upset. Everyone in Jerusalem was troubled too. So Herod called together all the chief priests of the people. He also called the teachers of the law. He asked them where the Messiah was going to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, this is what the prophet has written. He said, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are certainly not the least important among the towns of Judah. A ruler will come out of you. He will rule my people Israel like a shepherd. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men. He found out from them exactly when the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem, and he said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report it to me. Then I can go and worship him too. So, at, at this point in the story, we're kind of already getting an idea of the difference of how the wise men and King Herod are responding to the Savior. Um, so I thought I would give you a little bit of history. And actually, Alan, you covered some of this last week too, which was kind of cool. So um, King Herod, there's several in the Bible, but the King Herod that's um, mentioned during the uh, Christmas story, he was um, technically called the King of the Jews. Um, he was appointed by Roman leadership. Um, and he was a very savvy political um, leader. And so he even knew when to switch sides, political parties, so that he could stay in power. And so if you know anything about Mark Antony and Cleopatra, um, he was living during this time and he was their allies. And then when their, um, when their power waned, he switched sides to the next leader so that he could maintain his power. And um, right now, um, if you go to Jerusalem, there's actually this huge um, display in a museum, and it's showing all of these things that they've learned and discovered about who Herod was. And what's interesting is it all matches up with what is in the Bible. And so we can learn from historical um, artifacts, but we can also learn from the Bible who this figure was. And so like Alan said last week, he was very distressful. He was very jealous. He was power hungry, and he would basically do whatever he could to make sure that he had this power. 
Um, he tried to pass himself off as a Jew. Um, he followed their customs. He even rebuilt their temple to be more grand than even um, how Solomon had built it. So he really did his ultimate to win favor with the Jewish people because he had the title of King of the Jews, even though he wasn't technically a Jew himself. Um, and in the Bible, it talks about how um, he would kill people who were opposed to him. And I really like this fact that they've discovered about him. Um, when he uh, died, he wanted people to be present for him um, to celebrate his life because he was Herod the Great. He was this grand figure, but nobody wanted to be there because they didn't like him. The Jewish leaders didn't like him. And so he basically said, um, what does it say? Uh, as a final act of vengeance against his contemptuous subjects, he rounded up leading Jews and commanded that at his death they should be executed. So he was going to get his audience that he wanted. His reasoning was that if there was no mourning for his death, at least there would be mourning at his death. <laughs> so it's, it's just, he's a kind of a crazy person. <laughs> so keeping that in mind, uh, we'll continue the story. After the wise men had listened to the king, they went on their way. The star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them. It finally stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. The wise men went to the house. They saw the child was Mary. They bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures. They gave him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But God warned them in a dream not to go back to Herod. So they returned to their country on a different road. When the wise men had left, Joseph had a dream. And in the dream, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph. Get up, the angel said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you to come back. Herod is going to search for the child. He wants to kill him. So Joseph got up. During the night, he left for Egypt and the child and his mother Mary, with the child and his mother Mary. They stayed there until King Herod died. So the words the Lord had spoken through the prophet came true. He had said, I brought my son out of Egypt. So let's take a look and compare the difference in how these two responded to the gift of Jesus. If we look at the wise men, we can see that they searched for Jesus. They knew the prophecies. They knew the signs to look for. And they were eagerly actually searching. Um, Herod also searched for Jesus, though, too. Um, he called wise men, he called um, scholars together to search for Jesus. The wise men went and they found Jesus. Um, Herod didn't personally go, but he still investigated where Jesus was born. The wise men accepted Jesus as this promised king. Herod, though, rejected Jesus as the king. The wise men worshipped. They bowed down and actually acknowledged through their own mannerisms and through their actions that Jesus was the king. Herod, on the other hand, was enraged by this truth, by this reality. He didn't want anything to do with it. The wise men gave of themselves, gave of their wealth, gave of their time, even through all the journeys and traveling that they did. Um, but Herod sought to eliminate the truth. So as Christians in this room, we don't necessarily fall into the Herod 
column, right? Um, but there are times in our lives where we can actually sway closer to that side, depending on what's happening in our life. And so today I want to talk about two concepts that we can read about in the Bible, zeal and apathy. And I think this last year, um, actually two years ago, I was a very apathetic Christian, I would say. And this year I've been more full of zeal. And it really has been because of the impact of COVID and you know, not being able to always work, not being able to always be with friends and family. And it's really impacted um, not just how I live my life, but also my faith. So let's first look at what the Bible says about apathy. So the apath apathy is simply a, a feeling of not having much emotion or interest. You know, um, last year when I was really struggling, I didn't really have any motivation to get up out of bed. Um, even if it was a sunny day, it was like, and I knew that was a good thing for me to go out, go for a walk, be with friends. It was just like, I had no interest to even do that. And sometimes in our Christian faith, in our Christian walk, we can become apathetic because of the situations happening in our lives, um, the way culture views Christianity in our faith, um, and even the challenges and trials that God lets us go through, that can impact us in such a negative way that we become apathetic. So who has heard about the great resignation? Has anyone heard about that? So um, scholars and people who study culture are saying that 2021 this year was the year of the great resignation where people were using COVID as essentially an excuse to restart their life. Because we've basically all been on month-long holidays, right? When you go on a holiday, sometimes we have time to reflect on our lives, rethink about the choices that we're making, our careers, our relationships, even the things that we value. Um, this, this year has been labeled the, the great resignation because more people than, than any time in modern history they're resigning their jobs. Um, they're, they're stepping away from what they were doing because they feel so overwhelmed by the fact of going back to full-time work or a full-time uh, load of whatever they were filling with their life that they would rather stop what they were doing and try something new. And um, I've seen this with the teachers that I work with at school. There's actually a number of teachers that I personally know that chose not to go back full-time and they're only doing three or four day weeks because they just couldn't take the pressure, the weight of reality. And so I saw this firsthand. But apathy and the great resignation is actually something that's been around as long as following God has been around. So I'm going to show you a couple examples in the Bible. Um, who can tell me what this picture is displaying? This picture of apathy of the Israelites. Yeah, the, the Ten Commandments and the Golden Calf. Yeah, so um, the prophet Nehemiah, he writes about the Israelites in this situation. And he says that the Israelites refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed, that God performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. So they were resigning from this future hope and glory that God was promising them just because times were a little bit tough and they were willing to go back to this old way of life that was miserable, horrible, 
and that they had been crying out to God to rescue them from. But just because of some struggles in the desert, they're like, nope, we're just going to go back to what we know, what we're comfortable with. Um, following God is harder than we thought it was going to be. Um, another example of apathy in the Old Testament, this is a portrait of King David. And King David wrote what in the Bible? What is he known for writing? The Psalms, yeah. Um, David um, had a, a group of men that also wrote Psalms, um, and they were Levites. They worked in the temple, but they they wrote down Psalms to praise God. But there's one by the name of Asaph, and he wrote um, one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 73, because it is brutally honest about his walk with the Lord and his faith and his struggle with following God. And here's some of the words that he wrote. He says, all in vain, I have kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. So he's saying, I have followed all your laws. I've done everything I'm supposed to do, but it's been for nothing. For all the day long, I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. Um, so he is comparing his life to the lives of others. And he's seen wealthy people become wealthier, um, mean and evil rulers become more powerful but he's seen those who follow Christ struggle in life and have trials. And he's saying, so what's the point of all of this? Is it for nothing? So he was at a point of apathy. I would encourage you to read Psalm 73 because it ends really well. He works through all of his emotions, all of his thoughts, but then there's a really positive message at the end of it. But um, a lot of the struggles that he struggled with, I think Christians struggle with today. So I would encourage you to read Psalm 73. Um, John the Baptist, um, this is during the time of Christ, but even John the Baptist, the prophet who actually foretold of Christ's coming, it's, his, it's Jesus' own cousin, um, he was put in prison by King Herod, actually. And while he was there, um, he became apathetic. He started to question, is everything that God has called me to do, was it really worth it? Did it mean anything? And he actually asked, is Jesus, are you really the one who is to come or should we look for someone else? So he was at a point in his faith where he was even questioning what he believed. Is, is what I'm doing what I'm meant to do? Is it what's right? Um, I really liked Alan's worship time. I really liked what Brett said about breathing in scripture and praying out, or breathing out prayer, not praying out breath. <laughs> And actually what Katie said, um, just in the communion meditation uh, from 1 John about, um, what was the final verse that you said? Come on, Katie. <laughs> Basically, if, if we are not confessing our sin in our life, that we're, that we're saying that Jesus is a liar and that all he did was in vain too, right? Um, there was a, uh, not a verse, there's a quote from Hamlet that I was going to share that goes along with what Brett said. And in Hamlet, it says, My words fly up, my thoughts remain below. Words without thoughts never, uh, never to heaven go. And so sometimes as Christians, when we become apathetic in our walk with the Lord, um, it can be kind of empty, kind of hollow. We're just going through the motions, going to church, just because we know as a Christian we should go to church praying because we know we, well, we're supposed to pray, reading the Bible because, well, we're supposed to read the Bible. Um, but 
when ap when we when we become full of apathy, those practices can become empty, and really they can mean not a whole lot. So the opposite of that is being zealous. And zealous is when you have a strong feeling of interest and an enthusiasm that makes someone very eager or determined to do something. So my challenge for all of us is that 2022 not be the great resignation, but be the year of the great renewal. And kind of like what Alan was saying, you know, keeping on the forefront what our purpose is as Christians, making sure that we're breathing in and out the word and prayer and being honest with with um, who we are, that we are sinners and that we do need a savior. So I'm actually really glad that this morning has worked out the way it was. So what does it mean to be full of zealousness? Um, I'm going to read some verses from Paul. Um, in Romans, Paul writes, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. So we need to make sure that we are, um, staying true to our convictions, staying true to these practices, um, not letting apathy take hold where they mean nothing, but being fervent in them. So um, if we need to make new practices in our lives so that we're setting aside time to pray every day or spend time in the Word, we need to do that um, so that we can serve the Lord. Um, it was interesting, uh, at um, over one of the Christmas meals, um, people were talking about New Year's resolutions. How many make New Year's resolutions? Yeah. And a lot of times we're talking about maybe new steps in our career, new steps in our education, steps in relationships or hobbies that we want to get into, how to better ourselves. What was that? Yeah, losing weight. Woohoo! <laughs> yeah. Well, whether it's a New Year's resolution or just our day-to-day -day walk with the Lord, we need to make sure that we are zealous. Otherwise, those goals, those aspirations, they're never going to be fruitful. They're not going to really mean anything. Um, but as Christians, we have another layer to our life, and that is our walk with the Lord. So we have to make sure that we're being zealous in that. Um, in Titus, we read about Jesus and his example of being full of zeal. Says Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So the work that Jesus did was intended for his own followers so that they could be zealous, so that they could be full of good works. Um, so just like in First John, it says, you know, we should we shouldn't be lying to ourselves about our own sinfulness, because when we do that we're making Christ out to be a sinner. The same is true when it comes to the good works in our lives. If we're not fully embracing what Christ wants us to do with our lives, it's like we're tarnishing the reality of what Christ has done for us. Um, the final verse about zealousness that I would like to share comes from 2 Corinthians. It says, uh, Paul, Paul writes, For I know your readiness, of which I boast about, to the people of Macedonia and your zeal has stirred up most of them. So this first I wanted to share because when we're Christians full of zeal, it doesn't just improve our own lives, but it betters the lives of other Christians. We're an encouragement to others because of the pattern that we're living out, 
we can include others in that. We can invite people to come into that into those practices. But also, um, when our focus is on the Lord, and we're not apathetic, we're not complaining about our life situations, and we're not down because of what struggles we're going with, but we're actually acknowledging how great God is. It encourages others to do the same. So my challenge for you, as this is the last um, Sunday before the new year, is that you examine your life just as you might be making New Year's resolutions. Think about how you can make 2022 the year of great renewal for your walk with the Lord. How you can move from apathy to being a Christian full of zeal and what that might take um, in your life to make changes so that you can um, move out of that apathy and into a life of zeal. So let's pray and, and just thank the Lord for the word and what we can learn from history. Lord, we just want to thank you for today. Um, I just thank you for bringing everyone here. Uh, I thank you for the words that Alan shared, that Brett shared, and that Katie shared, and um, how they all demonstrated um, what it means to live a life full of zeal as a Christian. Um, I just pray for um, this church, North Lakes. I pray for our families. I pray for those who are not here today, and that um, you know where each and every one of us is currently at in our walk with you, um, where we are on that spectrum of apathy to zeal. Um, so I pray that um, we can find encouragement in your word. We can find encouragement in this time, just approaching the new year. Um, and I just pray that we can choose to make 2022 uh, the year of the great renewal, the great renewal in our walk with you. Um, help those of us who might be more in an apathetic state just to recognize that, um, to be honest with ourselves, to be honest with you um, and where we're struggling um, so that you, um, through your Holy Spirit, can pull us out of that mindset and pull us back into uh, just your loving arms. I pray for um, this church that we can be a church that lives with zeal, um, that we can impact um, other Christians in our life, that we can encourage one another and spur each other on. And I pray that we can have an impact in the lives of those around us at work, in our community, in our neighborhoods, and even our own families. Uh, we love you and we thank you for the word and how we can learn so much from it. We just thank you for today. Amen.